Welcome to another episode of Cloud and Culture. I'm Danielle Burrow from VMware. And I'm Derek Harris from VMware. If you're new, this podcast focuses on the process of application IT modernization through the lens of Tanzu Labs, previously called Pivotal Labs. Over the years, Tanzu Labs experts have helped hundreds of companies and organizations, big and small, build better software and adopt modern development practices. The tradition carries on today as Tanzu Labs experts help clients to get up to speed with cloud-native computing and the flexibility and resiliency it provides. Our guest for this episode is Sean Carey, the Minister of Chaos, who knows all about resiliency. More specifically, as his title suggests, he knows all about chaos engineering. He walks us through the evolution of chaos engineering from its modern inception at places like Netflix through today, when it's practiced by all sorts of organizations. He also gives some great advice on techniques for chaos engineering at various steps through the journey and discusses how the practice relates to other trends, such as SRE, and acceptance of failure as a tool for learning and improvement. Yeah, it's definitely an informative discussion. So I suggest if you've already made it this far, you stick around and learn from Sean why you should be paying attention to chaos engineering if you're not already doing it. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for joining us today. Could you just give us a really quick introduction of who you are and what you do at Tanzu Labs? Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me. My name is Sean Keery. I am the Minister of Chaos at Tanzu Labs within the Modern Application Platform Business Unit. I deliver chaos to all of my customers. <laughs> Love it. When you say you're the minister of chaos, like, what does that really mean? Like, what is, what does that, dig into that for us a little bit, Sean. What I do is I help customers understand how chaos engineering and fault injection can improve the reliability of their systems. Okay. And, 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 and when we talk about that, so, I mean, that, obviously that's, that's more broadly known as, as chaos engineering for for the uninitiated, right, or for anyone who who's heard of chaos engineering but hasn't really dove into it or, or taken the time to understand it. I mean, what, what are we talking about? When we're talking about chaos engineering. What are kind of the, the some of the practices and what's the overall thing you're trying to accomplish with it? Chaos engineering is the discipline of experimenting on a system in order to build confidence in the system's capability to withstand turbulent conditions in production. It allows us to identify weaknesses before they manifest in system-wide aberrant behaviors. Netflix coined the term, and then Google has a very similar practice called fault engineering, where they inject errors into their systems to ensure that they're handling them appropriately. Okay, great. And can you, I would love to get an example of like, what's, what, what are these errors? Like, what are, what are these things that the systems are needing to tolerate? What kinds of chaos are you subjecting people to? Well, Netflix started by shutting down machine instances to see how they affect overall performance of their content delivery network. In Google's case, what they do is inject uh, bad data into a web request, or they can take uh, that web request and just throw it away. And, and what is the, like, but I guess I think, and hopefully I think, Danielle, what you're getting at is like, what, I mean, we're, so we're testing out basically, you know, the, the goal here is resilience, right? The goal Correct. is to make sure 
or, you know, if it's not resilience, it's something on the, along those lines, correct? Like to make sure, yeah, if a machine goes down, if the whole cloud region goes down, if if you're getting bad requests that the application can actually stay online and Cor- functioning, correct? Correct. So so I, I like to think of it as an extension to test-driven development. We start with our unit tests of the actual package we're developing. Then we do an integration test with the systems we know it's interacting with. And then Chaos Engineering provides us a larger scale testing platform. And what does that look like for, when you, when you talk about this, for customers, for organizations, like what, how does one even get started going down this road? I mean, are there other tools they can use? Is it just, I mean, that's obviously it's not a matter of just randomly shutting down your your instances and hoping for the, your production instances and hoping for the best, right? So kind of, can you walk us through the, the process of, of even getting started with, with Chaos Engineering? Yeah, most customers getting started, what we do with them is we hold a game day. So we, we ask them to think up, and when I say they, I mean the platform team generally, right? The people who are operating the underlying compute storage and networking space. And we say, what could you possibly do to your system that would impact its availability to the customer or its security to of, of the customer data. So we, we take those game days, we have people sit down in a room and, and start brainstorming scenarios that could have impacts. And then the second half of the day would be picking the scenarios that we think would limit the blast radius. We don't want to just shut down our Cisco routers because that's going to take down our entire system. So we talk about blast radius and say, how can we do a small experiment and measure that impact? So once we do that, then we identify what we need to be measuring. So when you talk about tools, really the most important tool to have to get started with is some sort of observability tool, right? Ideally one that can look at your applications, your network, and your compute resources to try and identify whether your experiment has actually caused reliability in the to decrease over the system. That, that would be a really great way to start. Obviously, there's a lot of other tools that we can talk about. The Chaos Monkey was the first tool that Netflix put out there, and it was designed to allow developers to shut down their own systems, right? So it's self-service chaos. This, this is a little more uh, mature chaos. <laughs> I love yeah, I'm guessing that oh. depends based on the organization, huh? like Netflix right. back in 2010, <laughs> different story than yeah. Chase today, for example. Yeah. Self-service chaos is a great phrase, Sean. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, I mean, speaking of Netflix, can you talk a little bit about how chaos engineering has kind of evolved since you know it, it first kind of began in these big tech companies? Yeah, so chaos engineering has moved beyond Netflix because they were focused on the infrastructure that they were running on, which was Amazon EC2. And really we've seen an extension into all different kinds of software and hardware, right? I think I talked about it earlier. Security 
is very important. What happens if we start messing with groups' permissions, denying people permissions, denying systems permissions, networking, slowing down requests, throwing out requests, changing requests has become pretty popular. The other big piece that the game days add a lot to is for training new people, right? If you have a scenario that you can reproduce on a regular basis through automation and the use of tools, as Derek talked about, we can bring our new hires into a room and say, okay, the system is broken, fix it. And we can understand what it is they actually need to do to get it fixed and help them along that path in learning about how they are going to operate the system in the future and then potentially provide additional avenues for fault injection chaos engineering in the future. And you mentioned you mentioned like that you know it started with Netflix and Netflix is running solely or at the time mostly on Amazon. What how important is like a cloud-based or how important is the platform to doing chaos engineering because it seems like something that wasn't really feasible in a pre-cloud or at least pre-cloud native sort of sort of environment. Is that accurate? Like can you chaos engineer on? I mean, you know, a, I've been a chaos engineer long before the term in, was uh, invented because I worked in a cramped data center and I used to knock cables out all the time. So <laughs> if you don't have a cloud, yeah, go pull some network cables, go pull some power cables. That's, that's definitely <laughs> an option. <laughs> Seems a little less controllable. But it's a little less controllable. And you cannot provide that level of self-service that we were talking about, which allows that blast radius to be minimized and gives the development teams, both platform and application, the opportunity to create new experiments without having bottlenecks. And this is kind of a, a, a tangent, but or, but it's related. So I'm just curious when you, you talk about tripping over cables and stuff. The one, it, it just does strike me that the one thing you often see if there's a big outage a lot of times, is even though all these co- companies are doing chaos engineering, mm-hmm. the, the post-mortem on the outage, sometimes it just comes down to a human mistake, right? Like yes. that was not game plan for presumably. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, 70% of those errors are just someone typing something incorrectly which is why we at Tanzu Labs love our pair programming because we can see those mistakes before they make it to production. Well, it sounds like chaos engineering and fault injection is very necessary. Like when you're describing all the all the things that you're doing and all the, you know, the the ways you're watching the system respond and mm-hmm. and helping, you know, using it also to facilitate kind of training. It sounds like more than just kind of a nice to have. And I wonder, you know, what's the adoption look like out in the enterprise? Is this a common practice or is this something that folks are, you know, kind of struggling to adopt? Like where, where is kind of your average enterprise? Our average enterprise would be very, very early adoption, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's still a fear in a lot of organizations because they have very strict change control processes and change advisory boards and fun things like that to allow experimentation in production environments, which is really where you're going to get the most benefit of it. 
Obviously, we, as I talked about blast readiness earlier, we try and start our experiments in a sandbox where if we do take something down, say on the platform side, there are no developers using that platform. And then we recommend that the platform users, our application developers, test in a non-production environment first, just as they've done historically with load testing and performance testing practices before they move into production. And, and is there a point at which it makes sense to to get started? Because I guess the difference, like when I think about a, a Netflix or a Google versus an enterprise application, a lot of, you know, the differences are in terms of scale and number of users mm-hmm. and, and traffic and all these things. I mean, is there a point where, and, you know, probably architecture, is there a point where it, it makes sense, like it, it, may, it almost becomes a necessity to start doing this, whether it's in terms of if you're adopting microservices or if you're, you know, your traffic starts picking up markedly or whatever it is where you really, really need to start yeah. doing chaos engineering? My, my background is in uh, financial services. And what I found was a great way to encourage people to understand where it's going to add value quickly is by measuring the effect of downtime of your most critical system. Right, and if when we looked at ours, it was about fifty thousand dollars a second, so about three million dollars a minute. So it made sense to invest, right? If it's one engineer at say a hundred thousand dollars a year, right, all their time spent on stopping this system from going down would be a thirty times return on investment. So that one, that one pays off. Okay. So yeah, Zach, that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's value basically, it's, right? I mean, if, you, if I'm an organization, I say, if this thing goes down, it's bad, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess depending on the application. I, I would say gonna... I would say the second piece, Derek, is, is security. Again, the, the average cost of a, of a system breach, according to the latest Verizon report, is $3.8 million. So if you can potentially stop a breach occurring by creating an experiment which would minimize a configuration error in your credentials. Again, it's, it's value. The last piece I would talk about is your team, right? This reliability engineering practice that Google's put together, the, the goal of it is to reduce toil your operators, your developers, they don't, it doesn't add value for them to be doing the same thing over and over again. So for me, chaos engineering injects some fun into the job. Go and try and break our systems. For me, as an engineer, as an architect, that's something I look forward to coming to work to do. And we had, we talked about SRE in a previous podcast, and that's a nice dovetail. We talked totally about, about reducing toil there too. And these two things are definitely connected, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Can, I mean, can you walk through? I mean, can, can you walk through? Do, do you work when you think of chaos engineering or when you're doing this in, in practice? Is SRE and adopting some of those principles, does that go hand in hand with, with what you're doing? Absolutely. You know, starting with the game days as an early adoption practice, what we can do is say, if we break this system, right, say our payment system, will we actually find out that we've broken it before our customer calls us? From a reliability engineering perspective, that's a measurement that I don't currently consume. 
So I would need to then go back and say, let's write some code to inter- to create a new alert that would let me know if I have this type of failure, right? So by even just having game days without actually creating any chaos, we can improve the reliability of our systems. Does that answer your question, Derek? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you mentioned some tools previously. I'm wondering, you know, in terms of strategy and tools, like, or, or just looking at, at the larger system, like how much of your chaos engineering strategy is affected by like the teams, like their platform that they're using, or maybe even the application architecture, you know, are there certain, certain architecture choices that really, you know, make it easier <laughs> to do this type of work? Definitely. The, the benefit of using a platform like Kubernetes, Tanzu Kubernetes Grid, is immense. The Chaos Mesh open source project allows you to create what are called custom resource definitions or operators in the Kubernetes world. And that gives you the ability to do that self-service chaos that's very valuable in a high-performing organization. It also allows you to extend the chaos beyond what comes out of the box, which is pretty comprehensive to things that are uh, business domain specific. And it also allows you to give those extensions back to the community and continue to share open source software. But if you look back, I was actually just talking to another customer who has a huge web presence, right? That doesn't run in a containerized operation. It's it's not quite a monolith, but there's uh, a lot of pieces that could still be decomposed into microservices. And what we talked about with them was injecting their chaos through a proxy that would sit between a load balancer and that application internally and just take chaos-specific traffic from an internal machine that's just generating load. So you're protecting yourself from any you know, downstream customer impact, but still able to add uh, value on the fault injection front. And you mentioned Kubernetes, one of the things mm-hmm. that We've talked about, I mean, for years now, I think, is this debate between whether Kubernetes is like a developer platform or an operational platform. It's arguably some of both. But in the in the with regard to chaos engineering, do you see? I mean, is where does the onus ultimately lie? I guess in terms of, or do you see it often lie in terms of getting stuff? Is it is it in the application or is it, you know, in, on the operational side where where your clients need to make improvements? Yeah, you know, having worked in. Uh... Tanzu Labs on the platform team for for a long time. I consider myself a software developer, even though I'm an operations guy. So the really the really cool thing about the Chaos Mesh, right, is that it can go down to the application level and create the chaos there if you allow it. It's it's all role based access control, so permissions to hit that application, or you can go the other way and talk to your cluster API and say, hey, shut down this instance, right? Turn off this networking. So it's a platform for building platforms. And in this case, we've built a chaos platform, which allows us to impact both the operational platform and the oper- and the application platform. 
I, I know I, I know I avoided your question a little bit there. <laughs> Pick a side. <laughs> I know, I know. It's often both. It's a, often a gray area, but I just want to flesh out the topic. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you touched on this a little bit, Sean, when you were talking about kind of the ROI behind <laughs> you doing mm-hmm. chaos engineering, but I'm wondering you know, what, what some of the like objections are to doing it and, 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 you know, is it really just a matter of sitting down and kind of making those calculations with clients to get them to, you know, do it? Or is it like, like, how do, how do you work with folks who maybe part of the organization wants to do this and, and maybe other folks don't? Yeah, I think what Derek uh, was just talking about the separation between ops and apps. So we have, uh, a large retail customer who also huge online presence, right? This year they had the fourth amount of traffic of any retailer on Black Friday. And so we said, we'd like to, to try it on Black Friday in a very, very small part of the site. And then we, we started earlier in the summer building up to it and showing those application teams, the business owners, the ability to control our experiments when things went wrong, which is very important to have the big red button to to be able to jam on and stop everything. But by building up to that, we actually ran into a production error that we we were actually running the test a week before Black Friday, and we caused a fault that caused downtime. Now we're estimating, because we don't have the business numbers, we caused $7 million worth of business impact. But looking at the traffic volume for Black Friday, we saved $63 million worth of downtime on Black Friday. So by, by showing them that we could you know, fix the problems we had created very quickly, we were able to build up that confidence. And that's that's usually where people get uncomfortable is when you jump into production first and say, oh, well, we need to start shutting down AWS regions. They go, no, 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 hold on a second. Wait, what are you doing? But if you can build up, right, that, that confidence level, show your maturity as an organization, um, the detractors tend to fade away. <laughs> yeah, and do your clients usually bring it up is chaos engineering something that, that, that you bring up to them or that, that companies would bring up to you as something they want to do? Yeah, I mean, as, with, with my title being Minister of Chaos, when I introduce myself, it gets them thinking about it. <laughs> but a, as a topic, you know, we, we try and introduce it as part of our reliability engineering practice, right? When we see that they're at the maturity level where it's going to add value to their organization. And do, Sean, do some customers come seeking it though? I mean, is that an area that, you know, say they know they want to get better at and they want to upskill their teams, be able to do it? Yeah, where we've seen more uh, customers seeking it is actually on the application side because they're not familiar with it. And they've heard about some of our successes in other customers on the operational sides, thanks to podcasts like this. I know we've heard customers like T-Mobile speak at Spring One about mm-hmm. their cast engineering practice. And I wondered if there are certain industries that are more 
maybe ahead of the curve or more aggressively adopting these practices? Like, would you say telco is one of those industries and are there others? Yeah, we're working with, with a customer who's, you know, building a 5G network and just culturally, it's a new part of their business. And so what they're trying to instill in the people building that business is that failure is acceptable. So chaos engineering is something they wanted to do up front to get the people's mindset who are building this network wrapped around that you know failure is acceptable. And what we've seen is is really it's it's a lot of high volume organizations that are out in the lead, right? Where twenty five percent of your business is occurring on a single day, and you just you can't have downtime. But realistically, right, with the complex microservices, Kubernetes, right, running ninety itself, as we as this complexity grows, right, the if you do the math, right, the uptime gets harder and harder to keep where the business demands. And is is that like I was going to say? I mean, I mean, I mean, T-Mobile actually strikes me as an interesting company as well because. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, again, I mean, it's not like their traffic happens all at 25% of it happens in one day, for example, but like when something happens, when you have whatever millions of, of consumers as users, for example, that's a different type of volume, I guess. You know, T-Mobile, I remember, I remember I did a podcast with them actually at Spring One, a couple, seems like forever ago now that we had a, a live Spring One on, but it, but it was about, you know, we, we, we talked about like yeah, when the CEO notices, when the CEO notices an outage, that was that was a pretty big indication that they needed to get on, get on this and get on the reliability factor. So I guess yeah. I, I just, that just wrong with me when you mentioned T-Mobile and the high volume, you're right. Like obviously they do lots of traffic a lot of times, but you know, they just have a lot of users period. Well, the, and, and the instance we worked with them initially to focus on was the iPhone launch. So iPhone launches have become more mundane nowadays but back in the day, right, that was, they sold a lot, a lot of phones and they had a lot of downtime. I think the first three iPhone launch days, they had downtime. So by the time we got our platform up and running, I think four through 11 are we on now? We haven't had any customer facing downtime since then. Cool. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the other one that comes out is a customer, I, that example that comes about, I don't know that it was. That you guys worked with them, or that they had, and that they had worked on this was, I think, it was Dick's around Dick's Sporting Goods. Around they had talked about just on a similar thing with the iPhone launch, and the, yeah, I know in the sporting good world there aren't a lot of analogs, but like new shoe launches can uh-huh. be one of those. I think it was like the Yeezy. This I don't even know how old the story was a year, year and a half ago, but yeah, it was like they were able to go and do this Yeezy launch, which is a big deal if you're not a sneakerhead. That's apparently a big deal. I'm not one, but, and I was like, yeah, they, I know they were talking online and tweeting about it. They didn't have any downtime and they pulled it off. So it was like, they were able to get into a new, a new facet of the industry basically, because they could stay up while some of their competitors weren't. So. Yeah, we were, we were engaged there for a while with their reliability engineering team. They are just starting to explore their, their chaos journey. I wondered like, what are some of the common mistakes that you see customers making or that, I don't know, that, that teams make in general when they're doing this type of work? Yeah, so the number one mistake is no monitoring, right? You don't actually 
have the ability to measure the impact of the experiment you're doing. The, the second would be no kill switch. You can't turn your experiment off if things go haywire. And that ties to the third, which would be you know starting in production instead of in your sandbox. Yeah, it sounds like timing is a big one. Like, st- like, like, do this the week before or months before Black Friday, not on Black Friday. The first time, <laughs> and build up to it. Start, start with your small experiments. Make sure you have things measured, and then, you know, next Black Friday, I think we'll see this retailer starting to shut down things in production. That's, that's a big step to actually shut things down. Instead of just kind of throwing some packets away, which hopefully most systems can handle, when you start to shut down things, there's there's a pretty measurable impact if you're watching the right pieces of your metric system. And that gets into another issue, though, which is just, I guess, and maybe I don't know if it's a mistake that, that anyone makes or if it's just a misconception, but as with so many things, it seems like this is an ongoing journey and it's not like you, you like you do chaos engineering a month before Black Friday and figure you've got it resu- you've got it set and then never again look at it again. I mean, it seems this seems to be something we need to consistently be stressing and testing the system. Yeah, and the, the latest and greatest in chaos engineering is uh, called lineage driven fault injection. So what you do is you take using a tool like Tons of Observability, you take all your system traces. Right, how things talk to each other, and you put them into a graph, and you look for failure points, and then you just keep going down the list. What's my next biggest failure point? Right, and as your system evolves, you you keep doing that. You feed back into the cycle. What is the out of curiosity? I mean, how is how is doing that in a way? Can you can just elaborate? I guess on, on the difference between that that practice and and traditional. Yes, I mean, in terms of what you're choosing to, where you're choosing to inject the faults, right. I guess. Traditionally, it's it's not as data-driven. Traditionally, I would say, well, I think this is where the weak point is in my system. Or I would ask my team, application team, what do you think is you know the biggest weakness in your system? Whereas actually looking at a graph, right? T-Mobile, last I heard, they had 30,000 microservices. For someone to get their head around where the actual faults are is a lot of work. So if we can if we can draw a picture and look at the picture and see how those microservices are interacting, right? Because it may be a zip code service. We don't know who's going out there and getting zip codes. It's just something that's available in the catalog. And that may be our weak point. Okay, that makes sense. So that's like kind of like I was thinking of in the in the big data world. It's like the more the more data and the more multidimensional it is, the more you kind of yes do, do something to run on the, the like figure out where figure out where there's an anomaly and then maybe backtrace mm-hmm. and figure out what it actually is because yeah like you couldn't possibly like you said you couldn't possibly guess <laughs> at at the interactions between thirty thousand different microservices. You just have to look and see what's happening and then yeah. and then work back from there. Okay. Well, I I was just going to ask Sean, do you think that there's any like up and coming trends in chaos engineering or this type of work? Like, are there new practices or new things coming into play that, you know, maybe it's because they're new tools, you're able to do d- things that you, you couldn't do before? Yeah, I think what's what's exciting to me is is the community we're building, 
right? That the chaos mesh is a CNCF incubator project so that people can take their experiments and, and share them. That's awesome. Yeah. I just have a, a final question, Sean, too, which, which is, you know, so that's like the future, the, <laughs> in the present, like what is the, the minimum like if, if you were saying telling someone, I know, I know I know it's different depending on the application, depending mm-hmm. on myriad variables. But like if you were looking at say, saying building a reliable, a generally reliable system, I mean, are, are there are there two, are there things you like must have at this point? Whether it's like you really should be using Kubernetes, or you really should be running, you know, in a cloud instances, or you really should be running like whatever. Like are there are there are, are there just things you can do even before you get to the chaos engineering part of it? to ensure reliability? Absolutely. The, the first thing you need is a service level objective, right? What, what do I want my reliability to be? If you don't know that, you can't build anything else on top of it, right? For, for an iPhone launch, right? If I have three minutes of downtime, that's not acceptable. But for the, the hunting license scenario, for another customer I worked on, well, we can be down about you know five hours a week as long as it's not during hunting season. So that service level objective is the key. And a lot of people use the nines. So is it three nines, about 43 minutes a week that your system can be down? Great. Let's start with that. Then how do we measure that? That's where you know those tools become important. Right, something like tons of observability, vRealize operations, log insight, so I can actually know that my system is available, because I can't have reliability without availability. Kubernetes, right. Kubernetes is is a very nice to have when you get past one or two applications, because it allows you to consolidate that information into a shared work stream, that then tells me about my portfolio of applications. And Kubernetes, I mean, some platforms just they they add additional layers of, like you know, your application can start and re, can can restart, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, an application it automates. I guess I'm saying it, like the platform does does provide some degree of automation, that- right? So so Kubernetes will give you something like a health check, and then there's a couple other checks that it allows you to do out of the box and you can extend those and if the health check doesn't pass right restart the app if the app startup doesn't pass restart the app so obviously those those pieces that are built into kubernetes add a lot of value all right i know i think i think we've talked about it as like the one factor app in some way that's something internally like that's this idea that like your app should be able to should at least be able to do that if you can't do that, then like, yeah. Right. It's, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to reduce developer toil, you want to try and abstract those other 11 factors out from the application developer's responsibility. If they don't have to worry about logging, if they don't have to worry about security of the connection between other microservices, using something like Tanzu Service Mesh so it can talk across clouds, then the developer can focus on providing features that can make your business grow even faster. All right. Danielle, do you have anything else? No, that's it. This has been really great, Sean. Thanks so much for talking to us about the cool work that you're doing. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs>